right? I want you to understand as to how never miles and today is not that wild message, all right? So hang with me, come back like six weeks from now, we'll get out of this practical series, and I'll try to wow you again. I give myself a little bit of break between now and when I have to wow you again, all right? See, I like built myself some cushion and some expectation. <laughs> Um, <laughs> anyways, but uh, I do think that the Bible gives us some really clear instruction about how to practically do our families. Now, it's not quite as clear as like when Noah was given the dimensions for the ark, right? I mean, God was like, hey, it needs to be this long by this wide. It's not quite like that. It's not quite like when Moses was given the dimensions for the tabernacle, right? I mean, like God was like very specific about those sorts of things. In fact, even Solomon, Solomon got all of these very specific details about how to build the temple. St. Solomon, the guy that's telling us here to build our families wisely, and yet he kind of just gave us some principles, some wisdom to be able to build upon. And we're going to talk about why that is in today's message. Well, we're going to move forward, and uh, we're going to talk about the next six words inside of that passage. So the first six words said, by wisdom a house is built, and the next six words say, and by understanding it is established. And by understanding it is established. Now, if you were here last week, then you know that I said when we talk about wisdom literature, that there are kind of two levels to it. The first one is this very um, concrete, very exactly what it means sort of level. We talked about that if you build a house, that it, you would want somebody who builds it wisely. You would not start building a house without some sort of plan. Because if you do, the walls don't match up, the roof doesn't line up, the windows don't, aren't in the right spot, the air doesn't come through. There's all these things that you need to do in order to plan a house. So there was this really physical layer about what it meant to build a house. But then we moved on and said that wisdom literature doesn't start with this physical application, but it also has this spiritual application. That's part of what makes it wisdom literature. And so today, we're going to talk about this idea of understanding and establishment from both those themes. Right? You would not have a house that doesn't have some sort of a foundation to it. You wouldn't. Any of us today walking around, there would be something that the house needs to sit upon. It has something that establishes that house. And so today we're going to look at the spiritual application of that physical idea. A house needs a foundation, so what about us spiritually? And actually, here it is, the first letter in our plan, the family plan, the F, stands for foundation. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up with me. Right, I'll let you, you, you thought you were going to get off, right? Because I read the, the passage, you're like, whoa, whoa, look at that! He's not going to, no, you got your Bible. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Now today's passage comes from Jesus, right? And, well, you said, wait, I thought you said it was, it was in Matthew. Okay, it's Jesus teaching, it's the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, it's the longest collected sermon that we have from Jesus. It's three chapters long. Three chapters long of Jesus preaching on a mountainside with hundreds, maybe even thousands of people gathered there to listen to him teach and to preach. At the very end of the sermon, we get this passage that we're going to read today. Now, I can't believe I'm about to say this. 
I'm going to read from the message. Uh, I'm going to read from the message version of the Bible. Now, some of you are like, what does that mean? I don't even know. Well, there are multiple different versions of the Bible. Typically, I teach from the ESV, which is the English Standard Version. And I teach from that because the English Standard Version is a word-for-word -word translation. In other words, they took the original language, and then they brought it word by word and translated it into the English language and used that to try to give us a sense of what it is that's being said in the passage. That's good for teaching from, especially for a guy like me, because I like to drill down into the words and what the words mean. The message does not translate word for word. The message translates what we call thought for thought. So in other words, they would take and they'd say, here's the general idea and the idiom that was trying to be expressed inside of this passage, and now we're going to take that and contextualize that inside of today's passage. Now, that's a lot of fun to just read sometimes, right? It is awful most of the time to teach from, because it's a thought sort of a thing as opposed to um, actually being based on the words that were being said. And we believe that the words have power, that the words are life, that they are the living, breathing words of God. And so we struggle with this idea of teaching from thought versus teaching from words. But today, today I'm going to push suspend on that for just a moment because I want you to hear how they captured the thought of this passage and of this teaching from Jesus because I think it's a really powerful thought and a really powerful idiom in the way that they described it. Now, here's the second thing I'm going to tell you is, is that I don't like whenever a speaker, a preacher, a teacher, whatever it is that you want to call me, a pastor, whenever they do what's called proof texting. And proof texting is where they go through all the different versions that exist of the Bible, and they're like, well, I want my point to say this. And so I'm looking for a version that says the exact same thing as to what I want my point to be. That's bad. That's very, very, very bad. Alright? What we want to do is, I want to tell you, here's what the words say, and here's the point based off of the words. Right? That's good teaching. So don't hold it against me today. Alright? I'm telling you all these things so that you'll know up front that I am aware about what it is that I am doing and engaging in. But don't worry, because next week we'll bounce right back into the ESV, and we'll be back there talking about it again. So, with all of those... Um, those caveats put out there about what it is that we're about to today. We're going to read Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to read it from the message version. It says this. It says, These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. I like that. He says, They are not homeowner improvements to your standard of living. No these are foundational words. Words to build a life on. And if you work these words into your life, then you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on a solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to that rock. But, but if you just use my words in Bible study, and don't work them into your life, then you are like, not my words here, by the way, you're like a stupid carpenter. I do like it, though. How does it mean you don't say that? You're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. 
When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are who you are. And God, I thank you that you have given us teaching from your son about how to and why we should build our lives on you. You are that foundation. I know we're going to talk about that some more in just a moment, but God, would you just clear away any junk, any distractions, anything that um, might keep us from focusing on you and hearing what it is that you want us to hear today. God, may you use this and work it into our lives to transform us to be more like you. In your precious Well, today we are going to look at that first F in the family plan, right? And so over the next six weeks, we're going to look at the word family, F-A-M-I-L. And then depending on how I get through the grading, it's going to be E or Y, all right? I know what it is. I just haven't decided how I'm going to bring it to you. But it's a family plan. And the first letter today is F. F stands for foundation, or more specifically, it stands for this, that we must find and focus on the foundation of our family. That we must find and focus on the foundation of our family. Now, Arizona is the fourth state that I've listed. Okay? Now, I knew that my Jayhawk fans would be here. I I was born in the great state of Kansas. Right? See, I, I knew it. I, I knew it. I felt some amens were coming off the, off the heels of that. So, it was good. But I didn't live there for very long. I'm sorry. I, my family moved me to Oklahoma. We lived in Oklahoma for a while. And then... Um, we, we were tortured or blessed, or however you want to view it, we lived in the state of Texas. <laughs> Apparently my day off is still agree with that, too. Um, I don't know if they were tortured or blessed, but which side of it they agree with, but they agreed, so it was good. Um, and so we lived in the state of Texas, and I, I have to tell you, when we um, bought a house in the state of Texas, um, and by the way, I don't know what it is about my wife and I, but when we sign for a house, we always get that guy. You know the guy that, like, while you're signing, he's giving you every piece of advice you've ever gotten in his entire lifetime, and he's pouring it out to you in that moment? We always seem to get that guy when we sign with, with our home. Like, so when we got here to Arizona, the guy was like, hey, pay your bill on time. Um, you need to know about your HOA. Um, they have these two. You need to pay that separately. We don't do that. Um, all these things. Good stuff. But I was like, oh, my goodness. I... I I, I, maybe I don't. Maybe I look like that guy. I'm just telling you. So in Texas, we got that guy for closing the home. And he began to give us the advice. By the way, in Texas, the HOA has the ability to take your home away from you if you don't do stuff. They can put a lien on your house and take the house away. I was like, oh, that's good advice to know. We'll take care of our HOA there in Texas. All right, good. And then he continued on. And he said, hey, also, while you're here, you need to make sure that you go outside and at least once a month during the winter and once a week during the summer, you need to water your foundation. Did he just say that we need to, like, water our foundation? Yes, you need to water your foundation. I was like, time Why? As an Oklahoma, we have never watered our foundation, right? I was like, I know things like, weird happen in Texas, and things are bigger in Texas, and things grow in Texas, they don't grow in Oklahoma, so maybe they grow houses in Texas. 
They just play all the big houses. They've just been watering the foundation. And they just got bigger. So I asked him the question. I said, why in the world do we have to water our foundation? He said, well, here, the soil here in Texas is a mixture. It is part clay, like what you had in Oklahoma, and it's also part sand. And he said, here's what happens. When we have the heat, um, the clay shrinks down. And if it was all clay, it would uniformly shrink. But the sand doesn't shrink the same way the clay does. He said, so whenever you water that, you're keeping everything from drying out and from um, shifting at different rates. And so by watering your foundation, you're protecting. He said, not only that, but as you're watering it, he said, you should watch for any cracks that are there because it's a sign that you need to really pay attention to how much you're watering it because you've got some shifting going on inside of your foundation. So we did, for the next year and a half, two years, while we lived in the state of Texas, I went out once a month in the winter, once a week in the summer, and we watered our foundation. And we examined it for cracks all along. And while we were there, we had friends who had built a brand new home. And nobody told them to water the foundation. And a year and a half in, they had to go in and spend several thousand dollars to put in a pier system because their foundation was cracked and crumbling underneath their house. Wow. And Stephanie had not gotten that piece of advice from that man. It would have cost us several thousand dollars. Several thousand dollars that still we don't have, right? <laughs> But, you know, the, the trick to that, though, was even after he told us that information, we had to act upon that information in order to prevent our foundation from crumbling away. You know, this, this is true about lots and lots of families today, right? They have foundation issues. Some of these families have foundation issues because they've never heard any words of wisdom about families. Some have foundation issues because they have heard, maybe in full or maybe just in part, but they chose not to work it into their lives. You know, if if we'd only chosen to have partly and occasionally tend to that foundation, just go in part way, we still would have seen the problem later on. You know, Jesus is really saying the same thing inside of this passage to us today. He's pleading that the words that he has just spoken inside of this message, that the words that are God's truth, that we should see words out and to work them into our lives. And by the way, I like this picture of what working into our lives is. And the thought there is of a woman who is kneading dough and working the ingredients in together. That's what this words should be like in our lives. Not just something that we tack on. Not something that we say, it just exists there, and now I'm going to stand upon it. No, it's supposed to be needed into our lives. 
And in this parable, Jesus shows us what happens on both sides. He says, here's what happens if you do work these things into your life. He says, you're like a smart carpenter or a wise builder. And he says that when the rains come, and when the floods come, and when the winds come, that the house is not destroyed. There's a couple of things that I love about that. Number one, I love that I now live in the promised land of Arizona. Right? I, there are things that I understand about the Bible that I would never have understood before living here in Arizona. Because storms are different in Arizona. Right? Now, the, the Message Bible took some liberty and it said a tornado. Alright? We don't really have tornadoes in Arizona. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think that the biblical picture was talking about tornadoes. I think it was talking about these windstorms that we have here where like the whole system like collapses on you and it like takes everything out. Uh, the storms here are unbelievable. I watch as these little clouds build up and then all of a sudden they burst over the top and all of the rain that was seemingly held in all of the sky over your house <laughs> falls right there. That's not Oklahoma rain. Right? And then we, we have the, oh my goodness, we, the dust storms that come with everything. But that wind that blows through. And then we, Oklahoma doesn't flood the same way. The wind gets lots and lots and lots and lots of rain for it to flood. Do you know how much rain we have to get here for it to flood? Not very much. <laughs> right? And so I, I think I understand a whole lot better about the biblical picture that Jesus was painting here because of the way that our storms work here in Arizona about things. And I, I find this extremely interesting. I don't want to get too deep, but we're going to dive into this just a little bit. But have you ever noticed how things happen in threes? Right? This, this last week, I, uh, a good friend of mine, his, his name is Dave. He's kind of our supervisor. He kind of oversees everything that I do um, with everything. He sent me a message on Wednesday that he was flying out to Reno, Nevada because his mom had a brain aneurysm and she passed away. Now you know what I'm about to say, but let's hear more. Because then on Friday, um, we had a, another, another member, her name is Jen, um, and she called me up and said, hey, my grandmother is, um, they just called all the family in because she's not going to make it much longer. Um, and Mary and Roger helped her get to the airport for us so that she could go spend time with them in, in uh, Iowa. And so then I had two, and I was like, okay, where's the third one? Right? Because it always seems that it happens in threes. And sure enough, I got on Facebook, and the guy who um, replaced me at the church where I was at in Oklahoma as the children's pastor, um, his grandmother just passed away. Um, and they, they ushered her in last night. And I was like, there it is, there's three. Which is good, the rest of you are all safe now. <laughs> but it seems like bad things always happen in Actually, I, I do have some ideas about that. Um, but before I jump into that, so here it was. Three bad things happened to this person, right? The rains fell, the floods came, and the winds came against the house. But conversely, when you look at the other side, the guy who built his house on no foundation, <coughs> the rains came, the floods came, the house went down. 
It was only two things it took in order for He didn't get the full measure of everything that went against the, the wise man's house because his house didn't stand up to everything. There was only two instead of three. And I was like, that's really interesting. I wonder if Matthew was communicating anything in this three and two thing, and he was. And you know, I, I love numbers in the Bible, right? And I don't want to get too mystical on us about something about numbers that are there. But the number three um, is a number that represents um, completeness and fullness. And really, actually, the best way to describe it is it means harmony. Harmony. But the number two means something totally different. It means division. It means that things are divided. In fact, I was reading this week and I was looking at some rabbis on this idea. Did you know that the day two of creation, the day of division, the waters were separated between above and below is the only day out of the seven where God does not say it was good? I didn't until this week. But did you know on day three, when he put everything back into harmony and he showed how it all came together as a part of his great plan, he says it was good more than once. That blew my mind. And here it was. I think the guy that didn't build his house on the firm foundation, division happened in his home. And when the rains came and when the floods came up, everything was divided. And a house that is divided cannot stand. Versus a home that has a foundation is a home that exists in harmony. That doesn't mean that it's perfect all the time. But when the rains came and the winds came and the floods came, they weren't divided against themselves. And the house did not fall. I also thought it was interesting because I want to take this idea just one step a little bit further. Because when we were in our focal passage, Proverbs 24, 3 through 6, there are three different words used for wisdom inside of that passage. Have you noticed that yet? If not, you're going to now, right? It says this. It says that it starts with wisdom. Wisdom builds the house. Today's passage we talked about, understanding is establishment. And the next one says, knowledge fills the house. Knowledge fills the house. And I was like, oh wait, what is the difference between these three words? Because in English, I start to think they're just all the same thing. It's like, when I was writing papers growing up, maybe you did the same sort of thing, the thesaurus was my best friend, right? If I got to where I was saying the same word over and over and over again, I would go to the thesaurus and go, what's a word that makes me look smart? <laughs> that one. All right, I'm going to throw that one in there so that I can use a different word for me because I've used me six times in the last. So we're going to change those other five so they're not the same word. Right? I used to do that all the time. And I was like, surely that's just what the guy's doing right here, right? He's just changing the word up. So it just flows a little bit better and sort of catches our eye. And saying, no, there is something different about each of these words and they have a different idea about what it was that's there. In fact, here's the three words. I want to show them to you because um, they're, they're fun Hebrew words. And I worked all week long to be able to pronounce them for you, all right? So here's the first one. The first one is pachma. It's a fun one. It's not what it looks like when you look it up there. It looks like chakma or something, but it's pachma. 
Right? It's this nice little uh, sound to it. And hakma is the word that's translated as wisdom. Right? It's this idea of rules, rote memorization, things that are there, facts that are truth. Um, it's the words that are used to describe wisdom. Right? When we look at the words of wisdom, we go, oh, those are good truths. Those are good facts. Those are good things for us to memorize. And this is what hakma is. Wisdom. Things that you should memorize. Rules. And then the example they used was like mathematics. So you memorize the numbers. One, two, three, four, five, six, right? You have to memorize all of that before you can do anything with them. You memorize. Here's what a table is. A table is something that has a flat support. It has um, a, a base to it. It has some sort of a support to it. That's a table. Love, right? What is love? And you begin to have these, these working definitions, things that you memorize that help you to begin to grasp a concept of what something is. At Hakma. And here's the second word, understanding. It's Bina. Alright? And Bina means this. It's understanding. In other words, it's beginning to apply the rules and the tools. If I have a definition of what a table is based off of this table, and I walk over to this table back here, and it's got a flat surface, and it's got a support structure to it, I begin to say, if that's a table, is this a table? I begin to apply the rules, the tools that I have between those two things to understand what the next thing is. That is Bina, that is understanding. And then there's the third word, which is knowledge. And knowledge is this word, it's da'at. Da'at, and that's my favorite one when the rabbi would say it. Right, because it feels like it's, it has this deep, wonderful accent. I love accents, by the way. Maybe it's because I have this terrible one in Southern, and so it's okay, you've got it for me. I know where your almost Texan sounding has come from, but um, it's all right. Pretty soon, you'll have things that you'll say, I, I can't even, my, where's my wife at? She says like, Father, North Dakota, like she has like this ability to do that, that northern accent. You'll come back and you'll have it for us, it'll be great. We'll love it then. We love you now, but we'll love it then. Um, and so, you da'at, and he would talk about da'at is this um, ability to move beyond application and work into your life. So in other words, you know it, you live it, you do it. It's that acting upon what it is that you have gained knowledge of. And they would describe these three words of wisdom like a ladder. Where wisdom, right, hakma, was the bottom rung of the ladder. And you start with getting off all of those things. And then you move from that bottom rung up to the next rung of being, of understanding. And in the top level of, of that ladder is da'at. Now let, you, let me give you an example from my own family of a way that we are working to work this in. Um, when um, Addison was a baby, we had this, um, what we call a, it was a prayer lamb, right? You squeezed the little butt on the lamb, and it would pray, Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord, my soul takes peace, your love be with me through the night, and wake me with the morning light. Every time, you press the button, it would say, so every night, with her, as she was a baby, we would press the lamb, put our hands together, and pray that prayer with her. We're doing the same thing with London right now, our youngest. Every night, we pray the exact same prayer with her. Why are we doing that? Because we want her to learn what prayer is. So 
So we're helping her to memorize a phrase. My oldest daughter can still say that. But a couple of years ago, when she was five, we said, all right, it's now time for you to transition up from this rote memorization level of a prayer, and we're going to take it to the next step. And so when she was five, we moved away from the rote memorized prayer, and we began to ask her about things that she wanted to pray for. And so she would tell us, I want to pray for mommy, I want to pray for daddy, uh, I want to pray for a new brother or a new sister. That was always scary. <laughs> right? She'd say, I want to pray for this friend or that friend or for, um, for Mimi or Grandpa who's coming to see us. Whatever it was that was going on, she would talk about it. And together, at the end of that, we would pray about all of those things. Why? Because I wanted her to take this road memorization that we had and begin to apply it as a rule, as a tool for how it was that we talked to God. Now she's eight. You know what she does every night? She leads the prayer. Whatever it is that she wants to pray for before she goes to bed, our whole family is in there. She leads the prayer. And then we do the rote prayer with London. Because we are walking through these stages to help them grasp what it means to pray. That's building a foundation inside of our family. Now, the Israelites, this is not new, by the way, what we did is not new, because the Israelites said this, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it's a passage called the Shema, which means to hear, to listen, to obey. And here's what it says. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. By the way, this passage right here, when Jesus was asked, what is the single greatest commandment? Jesus quotes this. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the passage goes on, it says this, it says, And these words that I command you today, you should have them on your heart. You should teach them diligently to your children. You should talk to them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. In fact, I want you to go as far as this. It says, I want you to find them as a sign on your hand that they should be frontlets between your eyes, and you should write them even on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see, this passage has some very literal things that it says to do. It doesn't just say teach them. It says, here, I'm going to give you some, some road memorization things to do. Bind it around your hand. Put it so that you see it wherever you go. Write it on the doorpost. Put it on your mirror so whenever you're getting ready in the morning, you see these words because these words need to be memorized. And it's how you get them on your heart is you have to learn them first. You have to wisdom them first. They have to be a base level for you. And then... And then you can begin to understand what they are. You can begin to ponder on them and to think about them at other times and begin to apply them and use the rules and the tools that are alongside of them that the Bible is constructed around so that you could then die, live this out. Because I want you to live this out. By the way, you want to know what the scariest thing about this whole passage is? Do you know who it says is responsible for teaching our children? You want to know why that's scary? 
let it steer me. Because one day, I'm going to stand in front of my God, and he's going to say to me, Charles, how well did you do at laying a foundation for Addison and London and any kids that come after that point? Whew. I am responsible. I am responsible, and it all starts with me as the parent. You know, sometimes we take on the same mentality that we do with our schools, that I send them to church just like I send them to school, and that's where it is that they learn these foundations. And God says, ooh, that's a start. I want to tell you that's bad, that's a start. But it doesn't say in this passage, if you send them to church, in fact, what it says is it says you should talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk anywhere that you go, when you lie down, and even when you rise up. I don't see church in there anywhere. It's our job as parents to do that. To teach these things diligently. To lay the foundation down. Look, if there's a crack in the endurance, you don't make the test of time. Crack in the endurance can only expose the lack of a foundation. Crack in the endurance can only expose the lack of a foundation. You know, I want to point out one final thing in this passage. And it was something that absolutely blew me away. I didn't, I've never seen this passage in this light, but every commentator that I read said the same thing over and over again. Because when I read this story, when I read this parable, I think of people in this world when bad things happen to them. Right? Something bad happens to them, and this is all exposed about whether or not they are have a good foundation or a bad foundation. But that is not what this passage is all about. It's not what he's talking about. Because there's only one guaranteed storm that's going to come. In fact, everybody that was there listening to Jesus would have immediately grasped this concept, and we don't. Because we don't think this way, and somewhat because we don't have all of our foundation from the Old Testament embedded inside of us that we just hear this stuff. But when he talks about a great storm that is coming, about a flood that will rise up, about a mass destruction, everybody there would have understood that he was talking about not things of this world, but the end of this world. He was talking about an end judgment that would happen. And that only one of these two houses at the end judgment would stand. It's the one that is built on a good foundation. One that had worked the works, that had followed the commandment that Jesus Christ had given. Only that home would stand. Now, by the way, let me take it one step just a little bit further here for us, because sometimes we go, oh, that's a great story about an individual. You're right. It is a story about an individual who built his home. A home is not for an individual. It's for a family. One of those families stood, and one didn't. 
Jesus is saying working these words into your life is the start, and then you've got to work it into your family's life. Because this affects your entire family. Back in the book of Acts, whenever Paul presents to the, the jailer that's there, and he comes to know Christ, he says, this is awesome because salvation has come now to your entire household. Why does he say that? Because if this man works not only salvation into his own life, he works it into his entire household's life. Then all of them get to stand on firm foundation as opposed to something that when judgment comes will crumble and fall away. Listen, we've got to set a firm foundation. We've got to continually focus on that foundation so that foundations don't have cracks that show up in them. My pastor growing up, he had this quote that he used to say. He said, if your faith fizzles before the finish, it was faulty from the start. If your faith fizzles before the finish, it was faulty from the start. Here's what he meant. He meant, when you put all of your faith in Jesus, when you live your life that way, when you work that into everything about your life, that when it comes to the end of time, nothing along the way can take you out of his hands. Here's what he meant. The person who doesn't work these things into their lives. The person who isn't a follower. In Luke, when he starts this first, the same part, the same story, he says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, on those days will enter into the kingdom of heaven. He's not saying that you don't have to say that he's Lord. He is saying, he is saying, if you are not willing to work this kingdom in my, into your life, you're really not a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower, you don't get everything. I'm only given the whole kingdom to my followers. The whole house goes to my followers, goes to my kingdom. job as families, as leaders in our families, is to set that firm foundation. And we're not responsible for the choices that our kids make. The end of time, when I stand in front of the Lord as my judge of everything that's going on, he's not going to say to me, your child decided to reject me, and that's on you. But he is going to ask me about how I did about laying down that foundation for the bill that's going to come. And that's on me. So we have to, we have to tend to the foundations of our families. Let's pray. You know, some of you sitting here today, maybe you've realized that you've never laid down a foundation in your been building it on a whole bunch of sand. When I say that, I don't mean beach sand, but I mean every little different thing that you could possibly do. I'm, gonna, I'm building my family on making it to Hollywood then. I'm building my family on that they can sing. I'm building my family on sports. I'm building my family on their academics. I'm building my family on the money that, that, that I, I've earned. 
wash away. Paul says this. He said, In a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I helped you. And so now, behold, now is a favorable time, and behold, now is a day of salvation. You know, it's never too late. Never too late. Today is a great day to make that choice. Just a few weeks ago, we baptized my friend Don, who's sitting here, he's 68 years old. And when he was here for baptism, he invited his whole family, his 17-year-old grandson was sitting in the room. And at the end of the service, his 17-year-old grandson walked up and said, I need that too. And it's not walked into his family yet. It's okay. He's still working on that. But that's changing everything. Everything in that family. And I'm so excited for you about that. Today is a favorable day for you. You've never set that kind of foundation in your family. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you not to walk away from here today without talking to me. We're not going to make you come forward. We're not going to make you raise your hand or stand up or anything like that in this moment. When the service is over in just a few minutes, I'll be standing at the back shaking hands, greeting people. If that's you, you say, you know what? I need that. I need salvation. I need a foundation. I need Jesus. Will you just pull me aside, shake my hands, whisper in my ear, say, hey, I, I need Jesus. I need salvation. And you and I will talk about how to do that. Because I don't want you to leave here today with a family, with a life, Pray that as we leave here, that we would work these things in, God, that we would be diligent this week to focus on our family, to focus on that foundation, that we would work to, maybe we just need to start at the beginning of helping them to memorize and, and understand something about who you are. Start giving them foundational truths. God, Pray that we would be challenged with that. Maybe if we don't know the answers, that we'd reach out to somebody who's sitting next to us and say, hey, how do you how do you do that in your family? What are some things that you're doing to set foundations in your family, some parameters in your family? God, I pray for strong families. Not only here inside of these walls, but God, families that would impact other families around us here in Australia. But I want this community to be known as a, as a family community. A place where 